0: What happens when you die? Is there an afterlife? Do you have an immortal soul that wafts off to heaven or descends into an ever burning hellfire? More fundamentally, why do you believe what you do regarding life after death? Where did your ideas come from? You may think you know, but don't be too sure. Common views about heaven, hell, and purgatory do not come from the Bible and I'll give proof on today's Tomorrow's World program. I'll also be offering you a free resource that explains in detail the origin of many commonly held assumptions that people have regarding the Bible, so stay tuned. On today's Tomorrow's World program I'm asking and answering questions regarding life after death. Will you live again? And if so, where might that be? Where did your ideas about heaven and hell come from? Try as you might to escape it, your death is certain, and avoiding the subject won't solve the problem. A common assumption is that humans have something often referred to as a soul, And that soul, whatever it is, is immortal. It cannot die but lives forever. Now, if true, when you die, that soul must go somewhere, usually thought of as heaven or hell. This idea supposedly comes from the Bible, but does it? What does the Bible say? You may be surprised. According to Jesus, the soul can be destroyed. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The highly respected New Bible Commentary Revised makes this comment about Matthew ten twenty-eight: The soul, in biblical thought, is not immortal. The concept of the soul burning up is found in John the Baptist's prediction of the Messiah to come. Notice what he says that Christ would do. Matthew 3, verse 12. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The wheat and chaff are clearly referring in this passage to saved and unsaved human beings. Nothing here indicates immortality. In fact, this passage clearly states the opposite. Perhaps the most famous passage of Scripture is John 3.16, but how many stop to think what it says? Notice carefully beginning in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Notice that it contrasts perish with eternal life. These are opposites. Now we come to that famous verse that many know, but few seem to understand. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do we understand what perish means? Or are we going to change the meaning of it to fit traditions handed down to us? The Bible is consistent on this matter. The Apostle Paul shows this same contrast in Romans the sixth chapter and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a powerful statement that is. Think about it. The wages of sin is death not eternal life in some kind of ever-burning hell. These are only a few of the scriptures that contradict popular traditions, but there's more, much more. But first I want to tell you about one of the most profound resources we publish on why traditions so often conflict with the Bible. The late Dr. Roderick C. Meredith explains the problem in Satan's counterfeit Christianity. I cannot express enough how important this booklet is. Satan's counterfeit Christianity can open your eyes to the greatest deception of the ages, and it's yours, free for the asking. So pick up the phone and ask for your free copy, and when I come back, I'll show you from the pages of the Bible a scripture that says the soul can die. Be ready. Grab your Bible, because when I come back, you can read it for yourself.
1: Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Call now, 1-800-236-0531. Call toll-free now or write to us at the address on your screen or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org.
0: Before the break I said I would show you from the pages of the Bible that the soul, whatever one may think it is, is not immortal, but can die. If you have a Bible handy, open it up to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, or if you don't know where to find the book of Ezekiel, write it down and look it up later. Here it is, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine, The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. My dear friends, this is not difficult to understand if we are willing to lay aside myths taught to us from childhood and read the Bible for ourselves. This is a message from the beginning to the end of this marvelous book. Going back to the beginning chapters of the Bible, we read in Genesis, the second chapter, verse 7. That man is a soul. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This is from the King James Version. The New King James Version says, And man became a living being. The Old Testament books of the Bible were mostly written in the Hebrew language. And wherever the word soul is found in the English translations, it comes from the Hebrew nephesh. So it says that man became a living soul, a living nephesh. Now I don't know where you went to school, but simple logic should tell you that when you have the modifying word living attached to soul, it follows that you could have a dead soul. And that is exactly what the passage says. Notice it again man only became a living soul after he received the breath of life and the lord god formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul all one has to do is follow where the hebrew word nefesh is used in the bible to understand its meaning for example in genesis the first chapter Verse 21, we see that Naphish refers to living creatures other than man. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing, every living nafish, that is, that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. There are so many scriptures we could turn to. The high priests of Israel were given special instructions on how they were to conduct their lives, and one regulation was that they were not to touch a dead body. Notice it in Leviticus 21:11. Nor shall he, that is the high priest, go near any dead body or naphish, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. According to the Bible, the state of the dead is that of absolute unconsciousness. Sorry folks, but your Aunt Mary or Uncle Henry is not right now looking down from heaven, and any minister that tells you otherwise is not getting his ideas on the subject from the Bible. I know that may be shocking, but it's true. As we've already seen, whatever a soul is, it can be alive or dead. And the fate of the unsaved is death. Both Jesus and Paul affirmed this. So now let's look at some scriptures that explain the state of the dead. We'll start in Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, and verse five. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. As a former friend used to say, when you consider how little the living know, it's not difficult to believe that the dead know nothing. However, all jokes aside, the Bible says the dead know nothing. Verse 10 doubles down on the point and gives valuable advice. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. This is confirmed in Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and that very day his plans perish. This is from the New King James Version, and the word spirit might confuse some. This is not the Hebrew word Nafish. And it merely means his wind or breath. The King James Version reads His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. Contrary to what you hear at funerals, there is no such thing as an immortal soul. But does that mean there is no hope, no life after death? I'll answer that question shortly. But as we're seeing, there's a difference between what the Bible says and what people think the Bible says. Why? Satan's counterfeit Christianity answers that question. The greatest deception of all involves that which is right before our very eyes. The Christianity of Christ was transformed into a religion that early Christians would never recognize. They would be shocked to learn that modern Christianity places the name of a pagan fertility goddess on a holy day that celebrates the resurrection of Christ. They would be shocked to learn that Christ's birth is celebrated and done so on the day that celebrates the birth of the sun god Mithra. And they would be shocked that so-called followers of Christ believe in an immortal soul. Satan's Counterfeit Christianity explains a vital truth that you need to know. Don't pass over this opportunity to receive your free copy of this valuable resource. Call or go online for your copy today, and I'll be back in 15 seconds to explain the disconnect between what the Bible says and what people commonly believe.
1: Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter.
0: Jesus and Paul describe death as a sleep, and that is consistent with what we read from Ecclesiastes and Psalms. Let me give you those references before showing you how ideas totally contrary to Scripture Came to take over the thinking of millions of Christians and non Christians alike. Notice this account from John, the 11th chapter, beginning in verse 11. Jesus informed his disciples, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus. Is dead. And in one of the very passages that is often read at funerals, the Apostle Paul likens death to sleep. Here it is in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the face of evidence that we do not have an immortal soul, and believe me, there's far more evidence than I'm covering in this program. How is it that modern Christianity came to accept this doctrine? It all started long ago. Heathen and Greek philosophers believed the soul to be immortal, and it was through these pagan philosophers that the doctrine infiltrated the thinking of some of the greatest names among early church theologians. Let's look at them and see where history records how they got their ideas. The highly respected Erdmann's Handbook to the History of Christianity Tells us on page 107 the early Christian writers believed that the Orthodox faith was transmitted full grown to the churches by the apostles. But the preaching and teaching of the apostles was not the same as the orthodoxy about which the theologians wrote. So while they claim Jesus and the apostles gave us complete doctrine, they introduced ideas that did not come from them. Erdman's gives us this statement revealing the source of their ideas. The ancient world had a great respect for tradition and precedent, especially in religion. Christianity seemed to be quite new. This set a serious stumbling block. Christian writers tried to overcome this problem by demonstrating that the faith had centuries-old roots in Israel and in the wisdom of the Greek philosophers. That statement should cause people to take notice. Few Sunday morning churchgoers have any idea how many of their beliefs come from Greek philosophy rather than the Bible. Continuing with the quote from Erdman's on page 106, Justin Martyr wrote, Christ is a Logos in whom every race of men shared. Those who lived in accordance with Logos, true reason, are Christians even though they were regarded as atheists, for example, Socrates and Heraclitus among the Greeks. My friends, do you get it? Here we have one of the most famous historic theologians of mainstream Christianity telling us that it is not what one believes, but how one believes that determines a real Christian. In other words, it's not the answer, not the conclusion, but the process by which you arrive at an answer. Modern education is not so modern. Wake up! According to Justin Martyr, if one uses true reason, he is a Christian, even atheists. But it doesn't stop there. Origen is another early influential theologian. Origen, 185-254 to AD, tried to express the Christian faith in terms of the prevailing Platonic philosophical ideas of his time. Some of his speculations, for example, about the pre-existence of souls and universal salvation, were repudiated by the Church and helped bring about his later condemnation, but Greek Christian theology continued to be concerned with the problem which Origen tackled, the relationship of philosophy and the Christian tradition. Tertullian wrote a work titled On the Soul, sometime between 196 and 212 AD, but what influenced his thinking? But his well-known question, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem, expressed a rejection of philosophy that was not true of his own work, since he demonstrated how pagan intellectual achievements Could be made to serve Christianity. In other words, he criticized others for using Greek philosophy, but used it in his own writings. There's more, much more. From the Encyclopedia Britannica, Augustine, 354 to 430 CE, adopts a Platonic thought, that is, a thought that comes from Plato. When he teaches that the immortality of the soul follows, from its participation in the eternal truths. The belief in human immortality in some form is almost universal. Honest theologians know that today's professing Christianity is not the same as that of Christ and His apostles. We've only scratched the surface of pagan intrusions into what people think is the religion of the Bible. Satan's counterfeit Christianity documents how the religion that Jesus brought was co-opted and counterfeited, but there is hope. I'll be back in a minute to show you what that hope is, but I want to give you another opportunity to order this well-researched and documented work that exposes modern Christianity for what it is. If you really want to obey God, and frankly, that's not very many who are watching this program, you need this resource. So pick up the phone or go to our website to receive your free copy of Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. There's no cost or follow-up, so call now. And I'll be right back to show you what the Bible says man's hope is.
1: Today's offer is yours absolutely free, no cost, no obligation. Call now, 1-800-236-0531. Call toll-free now or write to us at the address on your screen. Or visit us online at tomorrowsworld.org. With this offer, you will also receive your free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, full of timely articles and unique insights on today's important issues. Then be sure to go to tomorrowsworld.org forward slash digital. Have a digital subscription sent right to your email inbox faster than postal mail. Visit us online now.
0: On today's program, we've seen that the immortal soul doctrine is not found in the Bible. We've also seen how pagan philosophy was the means by which that doctrine entered mainstream Christianity. So, what does the Bible say is the hope of man? Job asked this relevant question, If a man dies, shall he live again? Now that may not be important to you if you are 25 years old and in good health. You know academically that someday you will die, but that's way off in the future. You have plenty of time to consider that eventuality at a later time. But no one knows how long he will live, and at some moment, Job's question becomes overwhelmingly important. Job answered his own question, All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call, and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. But when and how? Man is more than an intelligent ape. While the Bible makes it crystal clear that man does not have an immortal soul, it explains that man is given a spirit that empowers his brain, makes it possible to have a genuine relationship with his creator, and records his life experiences. Job 32, verse 8 tells us, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. What this spirit does for us is partly explained in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. We read there of two spirits, the spirit in man and the holy spirit. Each spirit imparts to man different degrees of understanding. Let's begin in verse 9. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Through the spirit in man, we are off the chart in intelligence. Animals with larger brains cannot begin to compete. But this spirit in man has a second purpose. It combines with the spirit of God to give us an understanding of godly things. This is why intelligent people without God's Spirit cannot understand spiritual knowledge. But the Spirit in man can combine with God's Spirit, and when it does, it makes us children of God. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 explains, The Spirit Himself, that is God's Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So this spirit gives us mind power and makes it possible for us to have an intimate relationship with God, but it does one more thing. It records who and what we are, and at a future time, God will plant that spirit into a new resurrected body. Paul addressed the subject of death with the church at Thessalonica. Some members had died in the faith, discouraging others. And so Paul explained that death is like a sleep, but there is coming a future resurrection to life. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For lack of time, I won't read every verse in this passage, but I encourage you to do so. As we often say on Tomorrow's World, don't believe us just because we say it, prove it for yourself. Paul continues by explaining when the resurrection will take place. Verse 16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's only at the return of Jesus Christ that the dead come back to life. Notice this passage from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, where Paul explains that we are mortal and must put on immortality, and he shows exactly when that takes place, beginning in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We were made to form a relationship with our Creator. This subject requires more time than I have on this program, and I'll have to save a greater explanation for another day. But in the meantime, why is it that the true message of the Bible is obscured by the ideas of Plato and other Greek philosophers? Why is a so-called Christian Holy Day that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ named after the pagan goddess Ishtar and celebrated with eggs, rabbits, and other fertility symbols? Why is the birth of Christ celebrated on the birthday of the sun god, Mithra? These are only a few of the questions you ought to be asking. The astounding answer is found in our booklet, Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. Be sure to order your free copy today, and be sure to come back next week when Richard Ames, Wallace Smith, guest presenter Rod McNair, and I will bring you more good news of tomorrow's world and the prophecies of your Bible. Until then, may the peace of God the Father and Jesus Christ be with you.
1: To take advantage of today's free offer or view today's program now or anytime, go to TomorrowsWorld.org. Find us on Facebook, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter.